0: Okay. Hello and welcome to this webinar about surrogacy. I'm um, joined today by Sarah Jefford, who is a surrogate and also a surrogate surrogacy lawyer living in Melbourne with her family. Uh, Sarah decided to become a surrogate in 2015 and in January of this year, 2018, gave birth to baby Darcy for two gay dads, Mike and Nate. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
1: It's such a lovely pleasure to be able to chat to you about
0: this. I know. We've been trying to do this for so long, try and tee this time up, and you're <laughs> very, very busy. So I really appreciate you being here tonight. Oh, thank you. So I um, also just to say that I met you uh, in, oh, it was last year, wasn't it, I think, at the Feminist Family Salon where you sat on a panel and you spoke about surrogacy from the perspective of being a gestational surrogate, but also because you are a surrogate lawyer. So I I got to meet you there last year, which was great, and really great conversations came out of that. But you're, uh, by trade, you're a
1: family lawyer, is that right? Yes, that's right. So I've been practising family law for about 13 years now, uh, and more recently, in the last three years or so, have actually focused on surrogacy law in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, which has sort of steered me away a little bit from the regular family law, the sort of separated couple stuff. And now I basically just do surrogacy law. Mm.
0: Had that come up previously in your work, the, the topic? No,
1: my original, my um, initial career was actually at Legal Aid mm-hmm. and then at the Aboriginal Legal Service. And we didn't have surrogacy in either of those places. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually when I started to pursue egg donation that I started to think about surrogacy mm-hmm. and then eventually thought, well, you know, that area of law is fascinating and it's sort of just off from regular family law. So that's something I um, became more and more interested in.
0: And you and you became a, a gestational surrogate, but you were a, an egg donor first. Can you kind of say yes. what, what led you to become a gestational surrogate?
1: Sure, so um, we conceived our first son, Archie, through IVF after about three years of trying. We were treated for male factor infertility. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we went through the IVF process, I responded really well to the drugs and had a lot of eggs and thought at the time, well, you know, that's a a plus, it's a silver lining that if we can make our family with IVF, I'd like to pay it forward for those other people that need an egg donor. And um, so I thought, well, you know, one day I might do that. And then we conceived our second son, Raf, naturally. And again, after he was born, I thought, well, maybe one day I could be an egg donor. Mm -hmm. And I did research it at the time, but there was lots of sort of tension there, I guess, about, well, does that mean I'm finished making my family? And, you know, where do I go from here? And my partner and I talked a lot about whether we were going to add a third child, what we were going to do about that and when it might happen, and eventually reconciled that we were quite happy with two kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought, well, that's, that's fine but I feel like I've still got something left to give. And so egg donation was really playing on my mind. So I researched that and became an egg donor. Mm -hmm. And then while I was becoming an egg donor, I donated my eggs to two separate couples. Um, I started researching surrogacy. And what I found was that a lot of the egg donors were sort of making the leap from egg donation into surrogacy. And I kind of leapt with them essentially Mm -hmm. Um, thinking that I really enjoyed pregnancy and birth and, I was a bit sad about not doing that again because we were pretty happy with the two kids that we had Mm. and eventually thought, well, surrogacy is actually the answer that I'm looking for because I can do pregnancy and birth again, not have to have the newborn at the end, but could actually really experience the ultimate of actually doing that and handing baby to somebody else and watching them become parents. Mm. So that was a long process of research and thinking about it and then eventually uh, meeting Mike and Nate who became the intended parents Um, We were originally, I was a gestational surrogate, which meant that I wasn't genetically connected to the child Mm -hmm. um, that we had intended on creating. We actually didn't achieve a pregnancy through that process, but then I offered to be a traditional surrogate, which is to Mm -hmm. conceive a child with my own egg, Mm -hmm. and we went on to do that. And so Darcy is actually from my egg, so she looks like me, and she's genetically my daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, But the intention was always that she was conceived with that intention that she would be mike and nate's daughter not mine or yeah so and she was born about almost five months ago
0: mm-hmm. yes yeah. and w- can you say what the process because can anybody become a surrogate or is there a, a process you need to go through to
1: become there are some criteria and they're fairly broad essentially in victoria at least you have to have had your own children or at least one child you have to be over 25 and that's really the only initial criteria and then you'd need medical clearance to take the next step. So medical clearance is really an obstetrician or a specialist being able to say that you're likely to be okay in another pregnancy and birth. So they'd take your obstetric history essentially and your health history. Uh, If you pass that, and most women who want to be surrogates have already assessed that, you know, they've had easy pregnancies and births, so they want to do it. So they've already assessed that they'll probably be okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after that, once you've offered to be the surrogate to the intended parents, everyone starts a counselling process, which is pretty intensive. For us, it was about 13 hours of counselling total. And that was counselling for my husband and I counselling for Mike and Nate separately, and then all of us together as a team. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we had psych assessments, which was all four of us having individual psych assessments that went for uh, about four hours each. And then uh, we went in front of the patient review panel, which is the Victorian-based, it's essentially like an ethics committee, but it's um, based within the government. Um, And they assessed everything. We had to do child welfare checks and police checks um, and all this sort of intrusive stuff mm-hmm. and then eventually got approved to go ahead. So that's Victoria. The other, pro- the other states are similar mm-hmm. in their processes in that everyone does legal advice and everyone does counselling, um, but each state varies on how that process works. So, yeah, by the end of it, we, we'd been doing that for about 10 months before we actually tried to achieve a pregnancy. Right.
0: Yeah,
1: And so that was time that you also got to know
0: Mike and Nate a lot better as well then?
1: Yeah, and look, um, we started off initially as strangers. I went looking for somebody that I could carry for and they were looking for somebody that would carry for them but what you get out of it is lifelong friendship and now Mike and Nate are part of our family, which is lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, but you you sort of go looking for somebody that's initially a stranger. By the end of it, they're so much more than, you know, just people I found on Facebook <laughs> to carry their baby. Yeah, um, it's, a pretty, yeah it's
0: a pretty incredible kind of relationship. It's very, very unique. It is.
1: And there's a certain level of intimacy for us because we eventually achieved a pregnancy through home inseminations. Mm-hmm. There's a whole extra level of intimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're very much like family. I'd call Mike and Nate like my brothers, really. It's lovely. And Darcy is, I'd say I'm Auntie Sarah, mm-hmm. um, but it's so much more than that, I guess. it's. I find the word daughter very strange. It doesn't roll off the tongue easily because I, I don't have a parenting relationship for her. I know I'm genetically her mother, but I don't feel that I am the social mother, I guess. Mm. Um, But I'm more than an auntie. I guess birth mother is probably the best descriptor that that, you know, sort of sums it up. I'm her birth mother. That's about the most comfortable phrase that I've got at the moment. Yeah, there's really, I think we're still developing language for sort of family creation. So who are these people? And what's our relationship? And what's the relationship between Darcy and my two kids? That sort of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's the stuff that I think we were talking about the last time we got to speak as well was that those were some of the things, cause I know I was asking you what were some of the things that you were, you know, that maybe you would have uh, spent time reflecting on more or, you know, was mm. that you, if you were doing it again, you might think about. And that was one of the things like the fact that yeah. this is a, this child looks like you in a mm. ways and but you know, not, not knowing which, or not wanting to say daughter, but because that's yep. not right, that doesn't feel right. But also, kind of
1: living with that, you know, that she, you know, she will, she may look a she-
2: like you, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I still find, look, most surrogates will reflect on the fact that they see the their intended parents with the baby and they almost forget that they gave birth and they'll say, isn't it lovely that the intended parents have a baby now and have to remind themselves that they're the ones that birthed it? Yeah. For a traditional surrogate like me, where I am actually the genetic parent um, to the baby, I see that Mike and Nate have a baby and I think that's lovely and then I go to pick her up and realise it's not just the baby I carried, it's actually like she, she looks like me. Mm. Um, and yet she doesn't look like any of the other babies I created because the last two that I created were with my husband and the intention was that they were ours. Mm. So Darcy doesn't look like any child that I intended mm. to raise as my own. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's it's almost like there's this sort of um, biological re- um, response when I see her, the, the brain responds to her before I do <laughs> before I realise what I'm looking at, yeah, it's quite interesting.
0: It's kind of an evolving kind of process, isn't it? Because you're you're, mm. you're having to do that reflective work. You've done a lot of that kind of
1: yep. work. Yeah, yeah, and it is ongoing. I think even mm. uh, when she was first born, I felt almost I was overwhelmed with the feelings of this is amazing. Like this is the best thing I've ever done. I don't know where to put all these feelings, mm. and also thinking, and who am I to this little thing, this little baby that? doesn't need a mother, she's got two dads, and that's beautiful and that was always the intention, but who am I to her and who is she to me? Mm-hmm. And So that's been a sort of ongoing process. Mm-hmm. I guess partly because she's genetically from me, other mm-hmm. surrogates that have no genetic connection will have a different process to go through mm-hmm. and different relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel like surrogate, being a surrogate is like a lifelong relationship now it's a bit like being a mother Mm. in that I will always be Archie and Raph's mum I will always be Darcy's birth mother and surrogate that that's not something that you just end and move on from it'll just be evolving like you say
0: Mm. it's a part of your story and it's also a part of hers and, Mike and that's Nate. right yeah, yeah. Can, can you say just for people who maybe don't know how to kind of connect up with surrogates what mm. that process how did how did you and Mike and Nate get to meet
1: each other so these days a lot of the connections happen on Facebook there's also a forum called fertility connections which is a, um, it's a forum where people put up their stories to connect with surrogates or intended parents The Facebook group is also the sort of the live action, I guess. Mm -hmm. For us in particular, it was that uh, Mike and Nate had previously had a surrogate and she'd had to pull the pin for some personal reasons. And there was, there's a private group set up just for surrogates and she posted in there to say that she'd had to pull out Mm -hmm. and that she wanted to vouch for them. Essentially, she was looking to say, these are really lovely guys, you know, they'll treat anyone with respect and she sort of listed all their um, attributes and I thought these guys actually sound like the sort of people I want to connect with. We'd, my husband and I talked a lot about who we might carry for and what attributes we were looking for and somebody that we wanted to carry for because we didn't want it to be a transaction. Mm-hmm. So when she mentioned Mike and Nate, I thought, well, you know, she can vouch for them. So that's already a tick from my box in terms of any anxiety I had about testing out these people who are they and you know what are they after mm. and she matched us essentially and surrogacy is very much like dating in this regard because yeah. you it's my husband and I are dating another couple I've actually married to two gay men as well as to my <laughs> husband and, and that's now it mean, you know,
0: just feels like that just to be clear
1: you haven't, yeah.
0: actually, entered into this. haven't actually no no, no it's no. not
1: actually <laughs> registered anywhere but there are times when you feel like you're married to you know three people, yeah. um, but we had a dating process essentially where it 's that sort of you know for us it was who do you vote for um, mm-hmm. and sort of do we have the same life um, approaches and um, philosophies and what do they what do my kids think of them, and are they good, lovely people, and will they treat me with respect, and will they still be there after the baby's born because one of the fears I had would be that I'd give birth and that would be it. They'd get their baby and that would be the last I'd see of them. And I had seen that in other surrogacy teams, that the relationship had deteriorated so much. So we were aiming to, you know, not have that happen. But in terms of matching, a lot of the surrogates and intended parents find each other on social media these days, Mm -hmm. which can be risky for a number of reasons. One is that you're not meant to be advertising in most states in Australia. You have to be really careful that you're not breaking the law. We're trying to make those laws a bit more flexible because the reality is people are meeting on social media and they don't realise they might be in trouble for the way they go about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But also it's a little bit risky because there's no um, service there that's sort of facilitating the relationships. It's not like there's no matching service that could say, we've screened everyone, everyone's done a psych assessment, now we're going to see if you can hit it off with another team. Mm -hmm. So it's very much, you know you're at your own risk I guess you've got to do your own research and you've got to hope that they're good people and that your the work that you're doing to build that relationship is going to pay off mm-hmm. um, and we were I think we were lucky but we worked really hard like we had done our due diligence before we offered knowing that we'd sort of covered all bases and that we were reducing our risk in terms of what they were going to get out of us and what we were going to get out of them yeah
0: Mm. And then you did go through that, like you say, that long, you know, it was like a 10-month yeah. process. So I suppose, Yeah, like lots
1: of counselling and yeah. dating, like you say, lots of dinners together, yeah. getting to know each other and sort of laying it all out on the table, you know, who are we and yeah. what's our life story that might impact on the surrogacy later depending. You know, they needed to hear things like my birth stories mm-hmm. of how I'd birthed my two kids, uh, that bodily autonomy was probably number one on my list in terms of priorities for me. And by law, the the surrogate actually has bodily autonomy, but um, I wanted to know that they were going to respect that, that I was sort of going to be respected as the woman that had birthed twice Mm -hmm. and knew fertility. I knew my own fertility. I knew my own body and I knew birth and pregnancy and they didn't. So that was number one. Um, And then the relationship that they had with my kids and my partner as well was really important. Mm. And, look, honestly, a lot of it just happened naturally for us, which is the answer that you want. You don't want to be working so hard at it because it doesn't work naturally. But we had worked hard at building a foundation to make sure that it, you know, if it wasn't going to work, that we were sort of able to be in a position to say this is is not a good match for us. Mm. So, look, by the time we met, we knew what we wanted and I think they knew what they wanted. So Mm. (laughs) it worked. Yeah,
0: you said that you didn't know when you first met them. Is that right? Like what the?
1: Yeah, um, I think I probably confused or blew them away a little bit. By the time I'd met them, I'd done so much reading and thinking about surrogacy generally, and then I'd stalked them on Facebook before I met them in person. (laughs) Like everyone
0: does. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, what is what is Facebook there if you can't stalk people? (laughs) Um, But when we actually met in person, I was like, look, unless they turn out to be awful, Mm. I'll be offering. And I didn't officially offer that day. I did kind of go, you know, let's, you know, keep talking. You've got to meet my husband and got to meet the kids, that sort of thing. Mm. Uh, And it was actually pretty quickly after they'd met Troy and the kids that I made a formal offer. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like dating. It's a bit of romance involved. And then, yeah. So once they accepted the offer, they were actually getting married shortly after. So once they were back from their wedding, we then proceeded with the counselling through the clinic mm-hmm. and the legal advice. So we kind of jumped in before we'd actually established a really strong relationship. We jumped into the counselling, which is often how it happens.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But we were also simultaneously working on the relationship in the background. So it wasn't we weren't just relying on the counselling to get us through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's quite it's amazing actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm
0: yeah so really intentional and um yes. can you speak a little bit about the differences so i mean i've i've looked at some stories for from other um surrogates with their intended parents and and mm-hmm. they they're all a little bit different but i am kind of surprised because i think i didn't expect so many surrogates and intended parents to have such you know such depth in the relationships i think mm-hmm. i think a lot of people see surrogacy as being very transactional and yes. uh, but there are differences aren't there like in this country mm-hmm. compared to other countries so you have the difference to, between how yeah so you know, look
1: because in australia it's all altruistic so surrogates are not paid for doing it we're meant to get paid the sort of out-of-pocket expenses mm-hmm. and that's it Um, I can tell you that the surrogates I spend time with are not receiving money under the table. This is very much altruistic. And what we value is actually, you know, the handwritten card after the baby's born. That's more valuable than anything else. But the what we're aiming to do is actually seeing them become parents. So if we get to watch the baby come out and hand that baby to somebody else, that's, that's the reward. Mm -hmm. Um, So because it's altruistic, there's nothing transactional about it. It's very much about the relationship and it's not a relationship that ends at the birth. It's lifelong. And that's what we're after. Mm -hmm. And I've heard a well-known surrogacy counselor, Katrina Hale talks about it being that if you were going to pay somebody $50,000 for the baby, but in the case of altruistic surrogacy, you're not paying them. You have to pay them off that 50000 in relationship, essentially, in time mm-hmm. and quality time. Yes. So that's, it's it's hard work. In, and I don't mean difficult hard. I mean you you really have to make a commitment to the relationship, mm-hmm. which is why there's still a market for commercial surrogacy overseas because some people that's actually what they prefer. Yes. Um, and, look, I hear really positive stories about... A lot of commercial surrogacy overseas Mm -hmm. so I don't want to diss it that's it's still a relevant um, uh, choice to make but the difference is that if there's commercial surrogacy then it's more transactional I guess because there's no necessary requirement to have an ongoing relationship if it's altruistic it has to be a relationship because there's nothing else Mm -hmm. if you don't have that good strong bond then what's the point in doing it? Mm-hmm. Um, and we did it for that relationship and the experience. It's, you know, you, you jump out of a plane to see what it's like. I became a surrogate to see what that was like and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't have done it to get paid money because that's not actually the experience I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's very much not transactional.
0: And that's very different to a lot of other countries. And, it, and is that's the whole of Australia, is that right? That, that,
1: uh... Yeah, so it's, it's illegal to engage in commercial surrogacy all around Australia. Uh, Northern Territory currently doesn't have any surrogacy laws, so it's kind of not illegal but not legal. Uh, But every other state has surrogacy laws and it's all altruistic, yeah. And there's differences in what the surrogates can be reimbursed for. Mm. We're trying to streamline that and make that uniform. But essentially, if she's out of pocket, she should be reimbursed. But that's it. There's there's no, you know, money on top of that as a payoff,
0: yeah. So that would be probably one of the main misconceptions I think people have is that that surrogates, well, one, that surrogacy is illegal. Because I know I've spoken to people who say, oh, no, you can't you can't engage a surrogate in this country and I said well actually you can it just needs to be altruistic Mm. so that's one of the main misconceptions what yes is the other main misconceptions
1: so I do often hear that it's illegal I think there's also that stigma about it because you you struggle to advertise for a surrogate in most parts of Australia you in Victoria at least you're not allowed at all to advertise um so there can be this sort of over, you know, people think it must be illegal because you don't see adverts and you don't yeah. see public posts for it um, I think for me a lot of people probably assumed I was being paid I did have somebody that I thought was a good friend say, "Well, why would you do it unless you were being paid? Mm. Um, which I found a bit disheartening because I was like what well, what well, precisely for everything the whole experience I don't want the money mm. and I have heard that regularly that they just assume that we're all being paid under the table Which I, again, I find disheartening and mm. um, and I think there's often a misconception about who the baby belongs to. I, you know, I've had lots of people say I could never give my baby away, and look, that's fine. I don't, I don't want to judge anyone that says that because I think even I thought that. That's fine. That a lot of surrogates would say I'm not giving the baby away because I'm giving it back. And usually when you're a gestational surrogate, which is that there's no genetic connection between you and the baby, you very much don't feel like it's part of you at all. It was always their embryo. Mm It was always inserted in our IVF clinic. It was always intended that that would return to its parents. Mm
0: -hmm. In
1: traditional surrogacy, I think that's the same, but I'm very much of the view that I don't possess my children, the two that I um, carried intentionally to be my children. Mm -hmm. I don't possess them and I've never possessed Darcy. So she's made from my egg. I possess the eggs and I get a right to decide what to do with my body and my genetics, but I never had possession of Darcy. And I see it as in some ways I've placed her with her dads and it's their job to raise her, but she doesn't belong to them any more than she belonged to me. She belongs to the world. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and in fact, in that regard, that means I, it's my responsibility and my right to then have a relationship with her. Um, yeah, it's not about possession, it's just about relationships and responsibilities of, you know, people like parents, for example. It's my job to raise my kids. So I don't possess them, though. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they are their own beings. Yeah. That's right.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and you also talked before about that what was really important to you was body autonomy. And can you just mm. a bit about that? You were meaning the, the birth. Yeah. The birth, so by law,
1: surrogates actually have bodily autonomy as one of the Principles of surrogacy that even if the baby is genetically not theirs, they can still make decisions about pregnancy care. They can make decisions about termination and genetic testing and that sort of thing. But the reality is that those decisions are actually made as a team. So uh, Troy, Mike, Nate, and I sat down and talked about our views on things like termination and genetic testing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was quite hard to make decisions not knowing what we were making a decision about. So things like, you know, would you terminate if baby was sick, for example? Well, I don't know because we're not faced with that until we're faced with it. So I think importantly for us, none of us was particularly um, aiming for, yes, I would definitely terminate or no, I would definitely not. It was very much we would make a decision based on the information that we had. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you've got a team where one is very much anti-termination and another is no, I definitely wouldn't continue the pregnancy, then that's something you need to really work with or work um, through. Um, For me, I think the only thing I put my foot down was that I didn't want to have the gestational diabetes test. That was something I felt quite strongly about that was not... I hadn't done it with my other pregnancies and I didn't feel that it was necessary and I didn't fall into risk categories. And Mike and Nate accepted that. As it turned out, the hospital really wanted me to do the test and it was a condition of me continuing with the midwifery care Mm -hmm. that we had. So I was happy to do that. But the whole way along, it was a negotiation between me, Mike and Nate and Troy about what was best for me as the pregnant woman. Um, But also, you know, when we got to the pointy end, when Darcy was breech, I was sort of the one being asked, well, you know, we could book you in for a C-section or we could have an ECV where they try and turn the baby head down. And I felt like the decision was sort of sitting in my lap, but I kept turning to Mike and Nate and making sure that they understood where we were at because it was their baby we were talking mm-hmm. about. And I didn't want them to feel like I was just saying, well, this is how it's going to be. We're going to you know, decide on an ECV, and we're not going to talk about the risks to the baby um, because it was their baby and they needed to be on board partly because like besides it being their baby, but also because I needed their support. This was actually a team event, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I would hate to have thought that I made a decision that made them anxious or, or um, that they felt that I put the baby at risk. Mm-hmm. And there were discussions closer and closer to when she came about whether I would attempt to breach vaginal birth. Mm-hmm. And they I think that was probably the only time that they voiced that they would prefer that I don't do that. Um, I think because of their anxieties about that and for me it was actually very much that's not something I want to do (laughs) So I just wasn't really interested in a breached vaginal birth because I knew that the hospital wasn't supportive Mm -hmm. um And I felt that actually the positive birth environment with mike and nate feeling positive was more important than me aiming for something to i guess prove a point mm-hmm. um so that was the only time that they voiced any concern but even then they knew that if i said actually i'm going to do it my way mm-hmm. that they didn't have any legal right to tell me otherwise that baby might have been theirs but it was still my body that was going through everything mm-hmm. and they deferred to me a lot of the time about you know um, birth education and how i intended to birth um, i had home birthed my first child i uh, might sorry my second child And so home birth was actually on the table for some of our discussions, Um, but they had indicated that they'd prefer a hospital birth and it wasn't really a deal breaker as long as I had continuity of midwifery care. That was really important to me. So, again, whilst I had autonomy, I could have said I'm going to birth at home and they can stick it.
2: Yeah. It was
1: about the relationship with them that was more important to me than having a particular type of birth experience,
0: yeah. And because you'd had your, you'd had your birth experience, the first yes. experience, you came with a lot yeah. of knowledge and an understanding of your own body. So I suppose that informs your choices like any birthing person as well.
1: Yeah, that's right. And in fact, I guess funnily enough, when we went to scans and things, Mike and Nate were really excited and nervous and a bit anxious. You know, their their baby is in there. We're going to see a heartbeat. Is everything okay? Is baby growing okay? And I was kind of bored.
2: <laughs> I was just <laughs> like, I've
1: done this twice before. It's not going to be very long. I've got other things to do. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of interesting because they would say to me, oh, are you excited? And I was like, not really. Um, <laughs> I'm excited. And it, it was kind of almost out of body because I was excited for these two people that were going to see their yeah. baby and almost forgetting that it's actually me carrying the baby and that's what they're excited about. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of surrogates feel that. it's. I would see women say, oh, you know, the intended parents are, are really delighted babies well and I think, aren't you delighted? And actually surrogates just, it's not that we're not, it's our delight is for them rather yeah. than for the baby itself. Yeah. And...
0: yeah. That makes sense because along the way, that's what it's been. You've, you've come to this kind of transaction, well, not transaction, but the, this relationship because you want that for them and yes, you want to have the experience right. of pregnancy and birth, but you actually want to see them become a family as well. So That's right.
1: That's
0: and the, the parts
1: that really made my heart sing throughout all of this were actually seeing them with Darcy mm-hmm. and seeing photos of them with Darcy. They're the ones, I, I get photos sent to my phone all the time, and the spontaneous ones, it's the ones that I don't expect, are just amazing. And it can be just of Darcy, but it's actually the ones of them together as a family. My whole heart just explodes. I did this. I did that. Yeah, it's just amazing. You know, I can look at my kids and go, yeah, I made that. But actually I look at my <laughs> Kate and Darcy and go, I did that. That's, look what you know, I, did. I never did.
2: Look at that. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And I get to see that, you know, when she's five and she starts school, I get to see it when she finishes high school, I get to see it when she graduates, you know, university or TAFE or something and go, I, I helped make that. That's, yeah. And see the, I saw Mike's face the other day when he told me that Darcy had rolled over for the first time. I don't actually frankly care whether she rolled over or not, like it just, <laughs> I've done that with my own kids, I'm not worried. But the look on his face just made me light up. It's like, look at his face, he's experiencing parenting and I helped do that, Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. incredible
0: what's your role going to be in an ongoing way as the surrogate so you are going to maintain this relationship you're going to be yeah. you're going to be a presence in all yeah. of lives, including darcy's and is there is there a conversation about giving darcy a sibling
1: um so in terms of my relationship with her i guess officially i'm sort of auntie sarah and in terms of a descriptor, I think we're using sort of birth mother. If, we, if anyone says, you know, who is she and, or where is the birth mother? That, well, that's Sarah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's probably some stuff to work through in terms of Mike and Nate have a few people that will say to them, even in the street, will say, well, does the mother come around and help you out? And so they're working through that. And there's not a whole lot I can do to fix that. I think that's just mm-hmm. our society. And it makes me sad, but I think a lot of gay dads are probably dealing with the same stuff. Mm-hmm. But it does sort of mean that I maybe sort of want to protect them by not being that birth mother that comes around and helps out. Mm -hmm. It's actually my relationship is because I want a relationship with them rather than because I think that they need a woman around. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess I I get to forge my relationship with Darcy as her auntie and it can be whatever I want it to be. Mm -hmm. I did have a bit of a... um, a flash of um, brilliance and thought, well, I'm going to be that feminist auntie. She's going to get all her mm-hmm. feminism from me. And I get to sort of take her under my wing and go, come with me, I'm going to teach you everything I know, mm-hmm. um, whether or not her dad's like it. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. <laughs> and I have wondered, I've reflected a lot because I have two boys and Darcy's the only girl I've had. I've reflected on whether I would feel differently if she was a boy. I mm-hmm. Honestly, I don't know. I I kind of relish that I get to see her grow up without having to be her parent. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, sometimes it's kind of just kind of nice to see what did my genes look like in a girl. I've seen what my genes look like in a boy. Um, so it's just nice. In terms of a, a sibling, uh, it's kind of under discussion at the moment. Um, and that's a tricky one because it has to be something that Troy and I are happy to do and Mike and Nate are happy to do, but the timing has to be right and we have to sort of almost start from scratch in terms of negotiating what does this look like and mm-hmm. how long do we try for and what's the time frame? Um, because it's my body and it's also them raising a baby and at what point do they want to add another baby to that mix? Yeah, so it's a discussion. It's not off the cards. I've put it out there that I would be interested and then it's really up to them to come back to me and let me know if they are and when that might be, you know, if we if we go down that path. I feel um I think I might be a bit melancholic if the if we don't do a sibling because I like I had such a great time, I want to do it all over again. But I also feel like what we've achieved and this creation of Darcy is enough. It's mm-hmm. it's amazing in itself. I get to have Darcy and Mike and Nate in my mm-hmm. life forever. Mm-hmm. So whether or not there's another one is neither here nor there in that regard. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And you did mention that they were there at the birth. So that, mm. that was always the intention. Is that kind of common, yeah. that the intended parents um, were there at
1: the birth? What I, what I find really interesting is that most surrogates will actually put it down as a deal breaker, that they want the intended parents in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some commercial uh, surrogacies end up where the intended parents are not in the room, that they're actually in a, a waiting room next door. Mm-hmm. And Australian surrogates... I think find that confronting. They're saying, if I'm going to go through this, I'm I'm going to push this baby out, you're going to see me do it. Mm -hmm. But partly it's actually not about letting them know just how much pain we went through. It's actually, (laughs) I want to see the moment that you become parents Mm -hmm. and so you're going to be in the room with me and I'm going to give you that baby. Mm -hmm. I've seen some surrogates say, For example, they might have an arrangement where one of the intended parents catches the baby Mm -hmm. and that what they've reflected on later is that they felt that the baby was taken from them rather than it was a gift that they gave. So they've then had to sort of talk about, other surrogates have said, well, actually I'm gonna catch the baby. I want the baby placed on my chest and then I'm going to give you the baby Mm -hmm. um, because that's my gift to you and I want to see that happening. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was always a discussion with Mike and Nate that We kind of, I always expected that they would be in the room and I pictured this sort of beautiful event of them watching their baby being born and me getting to hand it over. Mm -hmm. And then we had other discussions about where the baby would be on me, skin to skin, um, having colostrum Mm -hmm. direct from the breast. Mm -hmm. And that became a different discussion as she was breached and all the plans and I didn't have any milk to give her and all that sort of thing. So it was a constant negotiation, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, and as it was, she was born by caesarean, which hadn't been what we'd intended, but we had sort of workshopped how that would work. And the hospital was really great and actually facilitated both Mike and Nate being in the theatre. Their initial rule was only one of them could be in. Okay. Um, and well Mike put his foot down and said that's not really good enough and I had in my head well I'm not having a cesarean so I don't need to worry about that um but we managed to get the the hospital to agree to having both Mike and Nate in the room because it was you know they're both the parents you can't pick one I I didn't know how I was meant to pick one that was Mm -hmm. would see the birth of their child and leave the other one in the hall Mm -hmm. so the hospital came to the party on that and then as it turned out we were very lucky at the time of the cesarean that my husband was also allowed in So Mike and Nate saw the birth of their baby and my husband was able to be there holding my hand while it was all happening and taking photos, which was actually really important. Uh, Surrogates talk about needing a photographer, essentially, because if there's any point where you're needing to be knocked out or you can't see what's happening, that you need the photographs of the birth to process it later. So we did have a photographer, but my husband was in theatre taking photos on his phone, Mm -hmm. which I still look at now and go, look at that. That's, That's the moment that I was, you know delivering a baby to her dads and seeing the looks on their faces when they just realize they've got a daughter. It's quite amazing. You've yeah. got
0: some stunning photos.
1: I love they are photos. Yes.
0: <laughs>
1: Bree Downs was your yes.
0: photographer. Bree
1: was? was our photographer and she's done a few other surrogacy births recently and they're all amazing. Yeah, the, you can, you can feel it. Uh, like if a picture could tell a thousand words, the photos that we've got of Darcy's birth and in recovery afterwards, Mm -hmm. it's all there. When I was focusing on this little one in my arms who's having breast milk, Mm -hmm. the photographs tell the entire story. It's, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's It's just amazing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think birth photography is such a gift for anybody Mm -hmm. who's birthing and the whole, you know, anybody that's involved in it. And I can see these kinds of stories as well, especially for the birth people to see... You know, you got to see what what was happening for Mike and Nate, you know, after you get to see And
1: for me to sort of put it together as well, because I was unwell, by the time she came out, I was not very well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'd been induced, a whole long story about that, but I ended up being induced. And so there were times of the day that I was pretty knocked out and feeling pretty sick. And the photos of Mike and Nate worrying about me. Um, That tells part of the story. It sort of puts all the jigsaw back together for me because I wasn't able to sort of process everything and I lost time and, you know, everything that happens in Mm labour. Being able to look at those photos later was quite important,
2: yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: So, yeah, I would definitely recommend... I'd recommend Mm -hmm. photography for anyone that's going into birth, but for surrogacy I think it's actually got a real... um, It's really crucial... Mm. Particularly for the surrogate to process, regardless of you know whether it went to plan or not, that she can actually go back and look at those photos and remind herself of what she's achieved. Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. And was Brie also your doula?
1: No, I had a separate doula. Although Brie is a doula and she was yeah. great, I, I was in one room and she was in uh, down the hall with my intended parents for a lot of the day. Mm-hmm. But I think she really provided that um, sort of birth support for them. Mm-hmm while I was in the other room. So I had a separate doula who was Katina and she had been my doula for the first two births. And she was actually, that was my um, deal breaker in terms of if I'm going to do this, I need my doula and it's, you know, if we can, then we'll get Katina because she knew me and she knows how I labor. Um, And that was really valuable. Um, I have to say my husband really values Katina as well, because she was sort of his doula as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the third time, it kind of like he just knew what to do. So he'd, he'd seen me in labour twice already. He was right there with me um, the whole way through, and Katina was sort of our, our backstop. She was supporting both of us, but he was very much the primary support, mm-hmm. um, which is different from our other two births, where he was sort of leading on, on Katina. Yeah.
0: Yeah, doulas are amazing for that, just filling that mm. gap, making sure that everybody can stay present, just facilitating mm. the connection. So for the intended parents, like, I think that's a really important role to keep them mm. engaged and feeling like they're a part of that as well. Definitely. And, and just giving them some context, like when things happen, just explaining what's, what's going on, just whispering yep. in their ear,
1: like this is what's happening and this is why. Mm. And, you know, you might not even I think um, because... I'd, I'd done a lot of processing in my head and intellectualising, I guess, about what Mike and Nate might be going through watching me labour. Mm-hmm. I was able to sort of distance myself from whatever emotions they were feeling and just focus on what I needed to do. But I also knew that Bree was actually with them, talking them through it and looking out for them.
0: Yeah. 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 It's a real team effort. Yeah. You, I wanted to sort of say as well that you've created something called, the, is it called the Surrogacy Law Handbook?
1: Yeah, so it's called the Australian Surrogacy Handbook, which is like a sort of um, surrogacy 101. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's for anyone that's looking at surrogacy as an option to grow their family, whether it's an infertile couple or a couple that's had loss themselves or a gay couple.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And it basically gives a bit of an overview of how to get started with surrogacy and look, it's, it doesn't replace legal advice, but it should hopefully give people a bit of an idea of what the steps are. Mm-hmm. And I've also more recently created the Australian Surrogacy Podcast, which is where I interview um, intended parents and surrogates. And I did it as a bit of a, I want to share these stories. I keep getting people asking me about my story. And, you know, I like the sound of my voice. I can tell the story. <laughs> so I've interviewed all these people. and But their stories are just so inspiring. I get so much out of listening to their stories and then being able to share them. Uh, and what's really good is that it hopefully is doing a bit of work to destigmatise surrogacy in Australia and to share these human stories about what people go through to get to the point where they need a surrogate or they're you know they've just become parents as surrogates, whether they went overseas, whether they stayed in Australia, mm-hmm. and really hopefully I think like it's it's meant to build the community, but it's also meant to destigmatise and educate the wider community about surrogacy generally. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds
0: beautiful. Hopefully that's working. And where can people find that if somebody wanted to find is it? On, is it something online?
1: Yeah, so they can actually find the podcast and the handbook at my website, which is sarahjefford.com. Mm-hmm. They can also find the podcast on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts mm-hmm. and otherwise they can find me on Facebook and Instagram. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Yeah, just under your name, Sarah Jefford, surrogacy lawyer?
1: yes that's right
0: yeah okay cool all right well we may leave it there and i've had so much fun chatting to you that was
1: good it was so good it was so lovely to chat with you
0: we, uh, I, I did think, we did say at the beginning that we may talk for hours. So we, I think we've actually done really, really well because when we start talking, <laughs> we can just go on for a very long
1: time. We could go on and on and on. That's right. Yeah, just yeah. need another coffee. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I hope that um, many people have been, you know, really well informed and if you need anything, you know, like as Sarah said, like go, go to her website and have a look and we might do this again. We might do a part two, but otherwise... Yeah.
1: And also, if anyone has questions, I'd be happy to answer them. It's, you know, drop me a line on Instagram or Facebook and, you know, we can have a chat and I can talk you through whatever you need to know. Beautiful.
0: That's so good. We might come back and do a Q&A sometime. All right. Well, yeah. I'm going I'm to end the recording there and just say thank you so much for sharing everything and your story and all of that advice as well. And we will um, pick this up again another time. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.